Yes, it is. And welcome back Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. This is the first time in a long time, several weeks, we have had both Hugh and Lewis Hallman in studio. We have had them together in studio for uh, every Tuesday this hour uh, since I think going back to something like April of last year. Uh, first uh, and originally to talk about uh, COVID and to pres- provide some A, fact, and B, calm. Uh, and uh, we've also worked on several other issues, but for various travel and work reasons, uh, we haven't been together. Today, the band is back together. Lewis Hallman is the managing director of Insight Analytics. What did I do? Did I point wrong? You pointed at me, Seth, and I'm the old man of the group. I'm yes, not Lewis well, Hallman. You are the, the Potter Familius, and the Potter Familius, Mr. Hugh Hallman, is the former mayor of Tempe. We call him Potter around here, and uh, an attorney in town, civic activist and education expert. Um, gentlemen, where are we? What do we want to start with today? We always start with a little COVID and we see where it takes us. But what's bothering you? What ails us about COVID mitigation today? What ails me, and I'm going to start because Lewis will get most of the rest of the show to build off of uh, this little foundation, and it is we start with demographics matter. But it was but two weeks ago I got to report on the fact that the United States is providing funds, resources, to Central Asian countries to protect their borders against the likely wave, now being more broadly understood, of Afghanistan refugees that are going to start mounting at their borders in a humanitarian crisis because our good friends, the Taliban, have now shoved most of that population back into extreme poverty. And so with a bad harvest this last summer, uh, there are now already reports of numbers of people beginning to starve to death, and that is creating a humanitarian crisis. The borders need to be controlled both for the humanitarian crisis, that is for the countries surrounding Afghanistan, but also because it is quite expected by those countries that among the people who are going to seek refuge are going to be terrorists who are looking to do harm to the surrounding countries for not being uh, as extreme uh, in their views and their faith as those now running Afghanistan. You know some of those countries well. Uh, I do. So I just came back from Kazakhstan. That is one of the countries that's received resources from the United States to protect its borders while the current administration can't figure out how to protect the United States' borders. But the next piece that I did not mention and I think is more crucial even still is that the United States imposed a vaccine mandate on people coming to the United States I don't mind that we have a vaccine mandate for itself for the moment. What I mind is that the United States policy is that people coming to the United States have to have a World Health Organization approved vaccine. Well, it's useful, of course, that the U.S. vaccines that are primarily available, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J, otherwise Janssen is what it's known as in the market, uh, are approved. But uh, in addition to AstraZeneca, which is available in Europe, Sinovax, the Sinopharm vaccine by the Chinese is approved. Sino meaning China. Yeah, correct. But not Sputnik, which is the Russian vaccine, which is primarily what's available to the former Soviet countries, or Kazvax, created by the Kazakhstanis, uh, for them. And so China, through the World Health Organization, has been able to impose its will. And so now the United States, through the Biden administration, has provided China with yet another competitive advantage against its uh, compatriots in the other parts of the world so that they now can travel to the United States. They can trade with the United States, which is a great advantage to China and to the great 
detriment of all the other countries that are not China. Uh, and I find it amazing that our administration would provide that level of control and authority to the World Health Organization and base our policy, our health policy, on World Health Organization approval rather than the United States taking a position with respect to what it should be doing. It's interesting because it doesn't do with this universally with the World Health Organization. There are policies of the World Health Organization that the United States does not comply with, does not comport with. It's interesting additionally to me that when it finds that it's useful to do so, it relies on them. But at the bottom of every time they do so, there's always that 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 little thing called China at the bottom of it. <laughs> and I have in the back of my head this, this, this memory, this echo of Nancy Pelosi saying with Trump, it's always Russia, Russia. All roads lead to Russia. With the Biden administration, it seems to be China, China, and all roads seem to lead to China. And that's where the demographics matter, yeah. because as we are moving forward into the universe and looking back on our prior fights over the Cold War, uh, one has to recognize the greatness of the people who preceded us, uh, from uh, Ronald Reagan, even uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, both in his work in Europe uh, running the war effort, but also ultimately as president and uh, handling things uh, very cautiously and carefully to make sure that the United States was well protected as we were running a Cold War effort. In fact, his grandson was here just this last week and told a couple of very important stories about things Eisenhower's he did. Grandson. Eisenhower's David, grandson, right. uh, David Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower's grandson, about uh, the, the work his grandfather is doing after leaving office uh, on behalf of John Kennedy. And that John Kennedy uh, would uh, make a very good conservative today yeah. relative to some of the folks we have out there, not only having cut taxes significantly, but he understood the international environment. And ultimately, for example, one of the decisions he had to make was blockade Cuba or not, mm -hmm. keep the Russians from putting or the Soviets from putting missiles into Cuba. And that's an example of uh, a democratic administration that understood the world as it lay and took action correctly, ultimately, to protect our interests. And it was Eisenhower's counseling of Kennedy at the time uh, when uh, Kennedy asked him for his advice if uh, he should block Cuba, that some of his advisors said that blocking Cuba would have the Soviets take detrimental action in Berlin, and that would be a terrible thing. And uh, Grandfather Eisenhower chuckled a bit and said, you will find that they're not connected. And ultimately, Kennedy took the right move, blocked the Soviets from planting missiles in China. Uh, the in, missiles in of Cuba, October, right? The missiles yep. of October. Yep. And ultimately uh, kept uh, warheads from being pointed at us from just off the tip of Florida. The point I'm making is that now we've got a democratic administration that can't get enough of China. It has softened uh, the uh, walls that were put up by Donald Trump to protect our interests in economics, certainly in intellectual property. And now we see that he's turned over to the World Health Organization to the benefit of China uh, and its uh, ability to move goods and people in and out of the United States. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So uh, continuing on this, on this China theme and the exposure that we have to, to, uh, to it, the Federal Reserve actually about a week and a half ago announced that the, uh, the debt crisis that China is having with its real estate 
presents a new factor for global contagion. So this is the same kind of language that they were using in talking about the 2008 financial crisis. So the big actor here in this space is a company called Evergrande, which is the largest uh, uh, issuer of private debt in the world right now with some $300 billion of loans on its balance sheet right now, all of which are effectively in bad Chinese real estate. And so this is a bubble that is starting to to unwind. The news in November came in response to a large interest payment on their debt, uh, amounting to about $100 million, where they struggled to make get enough liquid cash to cover that. They are now, if they, given that they've made that, they'll probably be okay until April, where they're going to start having to face principal repayments. And so if the food shortages and the energy shortages don't get the Chinese, watch out for a massive real estate bubble to pop potentially coming up in April, if not sooner. Which unfortunately has some people from uh, the West invested in Chinese debt. Increasingly, yes. And so as we uh, see this administration cozy up to China, we now see China potentially has a couple of problems. Uh, How does this relate to COVID? Because its position in the world has been strengthened by COVID. Uh, all of our work, uh, as the, the drumbeat continues, uh, the reason we're bringing this topic to we you— shut down our economy. They didn't. They didn't. Yeah. And uh, bringing the doc- topic particularly today, because on the eve of Thanksgiving, uh, we've got the same drumbeat as we had before. You should stay away from your family. Don't visit your family. Uh, there are rises in spikes in uh, COVID uh, cases. And the reality is, looking at the real data, it's— pretty mild relative to the real spikes. Uh, NPR and KJS specifically was reporting that Arizona is doing particularly badly relative to the U.S. uh, in vaccination. And then, of course, if you actually look at the real numbers and correct for demographics, um, young people aren't getting vaccinated. In fact, until a few weeks ago, people under age 18 couldn't get vaccinated. When you correct for all of that stuff, we look pretty good. And yet the Chinese demographics, when we come back, demonstrate that there's some trouble brewing that we need to be very, very careful about. And that builds on Lewis's comment about the debt. So when we come back, perhaps we can then make the point. Perfect. I'm Seth Liebson. They're the Hallmans. 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh and Lewis Hallman, we were going to connect a point. Go ahead, You Lewis. know where there aren't any pretty women? China, the country with the largest gender imbalance in human history. Is that right? It is, in fact. It's also the most rapidly aging population in For those listening history. to the podcast, because the podcast never includes the bumper music, yeah. it was, pr- you know. We were basing it off a Roy Orbison yes. song. Yeah, that's actually a very smart, yeah, that's so, smart to do that. Yes. yes. Anyway, keep so going on that Chinese demography. Point, actually, and those yeah. who were just tuning in. I apologize. Have to understand this is not the Laura Schlesinger show. Yes. yes. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay. So uh, before this year, the common consensus of Chinese demography is that it is a shambling train wreck. Mm-hmm. The one-child policy uh, lasted for about 30 years and completely decimated the, the, the country's demographic structure. And it is responsible Shamblingly for, so. for, for a lot of the, uh, the massive expansion we saw in the, the early 2000s. Uh, because they had so many young people relative to their population. If you've got that many low-skilled workers, you can be the workshop of the world. Yeah. But since 2005, Chinese labor costs have increased 12-fold. They are not 12 times as rich, I will note. Right. Now, on this, now, because one child messed up Chinese demography so badly— One child meaning one, one child, child policy. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. 
Although there was one child. He's no. now currently the head of the country. I was going to say, or Mao as a baby. We'll get yeah. to him. Right, we'll get to right, him. Right. Okay. So because it did this, the common projection by most forward-looking organizations, the UN, uh, uh, um, World Development Bank, these, these sorts of things, predicted that China's population would half from its current level of about 1.4 million. Billion. billion. Excuse me, 1.4 billion, excuse me, to 700 million by 2100. Right. But recent uh, uh, data from the new Chinese census, they did a census in April, and a paper has just come out in October from Xi'an University of Finance and Economics indicating that China may have overcounted their under-35 population. These would be the children born post-one child, mm-hmm. whose presence is critical in stabilizing the, the economy going forward um, because they, they need young people now to balance out the massive old population that they're going to have as a result of one child. Um, so with, the, with this new census, we find that they overcounted their under-35 population by 100 million people mm. now that, that is a stout that's yeah. not a, that's no, a third yeah. of the population yeah. of the united states for reference yeah. just in their under 35s now what this would mean is that instead of peaking two years ago china's population actually peaked 15 years ago and instead of having by 2100 china's population may half by 2050 mm. That is a radically different society than we were That's anticipating. That's 29 years for yeah. those who want to do the yeah. hard math. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So that that what this portends is we need to be very watchful of what's going on in China because now you've got massive overbuilding with huge debt loads for bad real estate. In a country with less arable farmland per capita than Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And then you have the the already overbuilding, and now you're going to have the population shrinking. That puts extraordinary tension on the political class to try to come up with reasons to uh, stay in power. And typically, if one follows what uh, totalitarian regimes do, as is going on in Russia. The very same pattern in Russia. The Russian demographic is melting away. They uh, are losing, have lost their young people. They are now a much older population. And what you see Putin and others doing is poking at the West and trying to create fights to keep people's attention away from the fact that they no longer have cake. So the bread and circuses routine is worn out. And so they're turning attention to foreign wars and foreign battles. The reason that's crucial for us is that means that we've now got totalitarians in charge in Russia and in China facing the complete meltdown of their demographics, which will destroy their economies. And they've got to keep their people uh, 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 happy enough that they don't depose them. Right. Correct. Right. They've and got to prevent a coup. Xi Jinping is currently in the mode where he is preventing regime change. This is no longer a conversation. As is, of, as is Vladimir Putin. Right. This is no longer a conversation of will China be a rising continued economic giant going forward. It's will China, will the CCP survive as a government more than five or ten years from now? And this all comes back to COVID because that is our stock and trade because demographics matter. When you're looking at the data about COVID, demographics matter. When you're looking at the data in the United States about who's rich and who's poor and why, demographics matter. It's not about race. It's about age and not having a young population uh, uh, 
puts a society in great peril. The United States has faced some of those pressures, but our pressures are significantly less than the pressures in, in Russia and China, the two countries that are now the, have always been the most dangerous for us and now are significantly more so. The, in fact, the reason we face such so, uh, uh, so much uh, less pressure in this area is precisely because we are not the the nation of, of, of white supremacy that the left tries to pretend. The only reason we are surviving this demographic age that is affecting every society on earth and, and on earth and the third world, I will say, more profoundly even than the first world. So this this aging is happening more rapidly in Africa than in Europe right now as well. Um, but the reason that we are immune from this is because the entire rest of the world wants to leave their crashing societies and come here, the bastion where it is actually safe, profitable, and prosperous to have a society, raise a family, and do business. And they do so. And so as uh, so, as the folks uh, among us point to us being as a, a bunch of white supremacist racists, you look at the actual numbers and the reality is the United States has very ably welcomed people from abroad as it always has uh, and bring them in. And, and not only- just from Europe. I think Indians might, might constitute the largest immigration, if not first than second largest immigration group in America. Sure. And Central and South America are important. The point being, however, the only change we've made in the last 30 years in that trend is that we've stopped teaching what it means to be part of this nation. And that's the crucial piece, that somehow we've believed that the very thing that is causing people to leave their own shores to come to the United States no longer is valuable. Standing at the Lincoln Memorial just last week, I was reminded about how crucially important it is to understand the values on which this society is is based and that those people who are tearing down statues of Abraham Lincoln or uh, in New York City removing uh, Thomas Jefferson's visage from the uh, City Hall don't understand that the ideals that they upheld, they, as imperfect human beings as they were, the principles, policy, uh, philosophy, and ideals they upheld were crucial to the creation of this society that is the attractant for everyone else around the world. And those of us here ought to understand that. It must come as some tremendous shock to immigrant parents who do flee those countries for America and have their children enrolled in our schools only to have the children come home to tell the parents the very same things the parents thought they were fleeing. I remember, uh, I don't know if you ever if you ever knew him. He used to be the head of the Ashbrook uh, Center, Peter Schramm. Did you ever know Peter Schramm? Peter Schramm was born in Hungary when he was a young boy. His parents moved here, and he asked his dad why we're moving to America. He said, we were born there just in the wrong country. And... You know, when he went to school here, he understood what that meant. Today, no child going to school here would understand that. You know, there was an interesting study a few years ago. I'll go to break on this. Tracking uh, high school students from immigrant families. When they were in the ninth grade, they described themselves as American. By the time they were in 12th grade, they had hyphenated their name, their their nationalities. Isn't that interesting? Precisely. Schools did that to them. American schools. What 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 are you communic- trying to communicate with my producer? Did you guys collude on something that I'm unaware of? Oh no no no! I was just you know how it is we got through the break without me knowing that we were about to end the break and I was ill prepared. Oh okay. Well, 
you didn't come ill prepared. You guys you, camouflage that masterfully, by the way. <laughs> you didn't come ill prepared. You you have a lot of data there in front of you. As too. always, my son Lewis taught me how to collect numbers uh, for him. Well, what are you going to do with this? So here's I'm sure worried. that's the order it happened. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, here's what I just have to rant a little bit. Okay. I'm angry yet again, and you've voiced this as well that our CDC started by counting breakthrough cases and hospitalizations and deaths. Then, because that was against the narrative, which is you must get vaccinated because as breakthrough cases occur, that that sort of pushes against the narrative that vaccines are perfect. And, of course, they aren't perfect. We've never said that they're perfect. We've always admitted that they're imperfect. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't get vaccinated. You should make those decisions based on the data that you understand about yourself and why it's good or bad. Well, worse, even our own state still can't quite get it right. I went to the website today for the State Department of Health Services and got all the numbers for all the people who have been vaccinated in each demographic category by age. And when I added it all up and double-checked it twice, just like Santa Claus might, the number was short by 247,790 people compared to their total number of people who they believe to have been vaccinated. I couldn't make it foot, no matter how I did it. So the problem is I was just trying to calculate the proportion of our population that is over age 18 that have been vaccinated. Why does that matter? Because Arizona is being drubbed for being under vaccinated. Our challenge is Arizona has a very large tail of young people as it has a very large tail of old people. The data matters. And this distribution of population makes a big difference in how Arizona is performed. We're under vaccinated because people under age 18 don't get vaccinated. We have a higher proportion of people who've died because we have a much larger proportion of our population who are senior citizens. And they're the ones most at risk to die. And so Arizona's not performed as well as other states or the U.S. generally on two tails. One on the death side because we have more elderly here than most states. And on the vaccination side, because we have more young people. Well, now that young people down to age of five can get vaccinated and we're just starting that program, that huge proportion of the population has been pulled into the demographic of saying, here's a bunch of people who haven't been vaccinated. So I was trying to tease it out and say, where is Arizona really? Mm -hmm. And where Arizona really is, it looks like to me, as best I can, in the uh, 18 and over, Arizona's almost at 75 percent vaccinated. Well, that compares to the United States number of vaccinated over age 18. It's 69 percent. We're actually better when you take out all the kids who did not have a chance to get vaccinated until a couple of weeks ago. That's one example. This would be a consequence of the fact that Arizona has a very high Hispanic population, which typically has a very high population of young children. That's correct. And so Arizona as a population on average is actually younger than most states, notwithstanding that we have a huge lump in the data uh, of elderly people because we have this very large lump of young people, mostly from immigrants coming to Arizona. Remember, this is the racist state. Oh, except that this is a state where whites are very shortly not going to be the majority. Well, how did we let that happen if you're, you know, evil white guy? The answer is we actually welcome people to this state for uh, 150 years uh, before it was even a state. And in fact, arguably, uh, the Native Americans who were here before us welcomed us here. In fact, the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian community, which is immediately to the east of Tempe, is an example of a community that welcomed the, the settlers who came to Arizona and actually helped them survive during some bad summers. So the point being... Data matters, and it would be really nice if our government agencies 
would just get it right once in a while instead of well, give hide- us the information to try and get it right. Correct, They're holding information back. What would be really lovely, frankly, would be if our media class stopped accusing us of being conspiracy theorists when we try to verify their claims and then and and continue to publish nonsense. Well, here's an example of nonsense from the New York Times website. They wanted to demonstrate that you should get vaccinated. So early on in the vaccination scheme, started publishing a da- uh, data about how much more likely it is yeah. that you're going to die or get uh, a case of COVID if you're not vaccinated right. as opposed to if you are. And their very first numbers were in May of this year, it was 24 times as likely to die if you got COVID-19 uh, if you were unvaccinated than if you were vaccinated. Well, of course... If there's only one person who's been vaccinated and they don't have COVID-19, the likelihood of dying is is zero for a vaccinated person. That's the kind of games that they're playing. Well, now, sadly for the New York Times, they still have the numbers up. I expect it'll go away pretty quickly because it's dropping precipitously. It's uh, halved. Uh, the death difference is halved in uh, six months. And the cases has fallen below half the risk. And so now uh, it's not 13 times as likely that you'll get a case of COVID if you've not been vaccinated. Uh, it's only five times as high. And as more and more people get vaccinated and we have breakthrough cases, that's going to uh, go down to to a difference of zero. And I'm pretty sure that given what the CDC does, that the New York Times is going to pull that data down, too, because it's against their narrative. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. Don't ask questions. Get vaccinated. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh and Lewis Hallman are my guests. I just wanted to have them weigh in on uh, things Wisconsin. I- I've done my last two monologues today and yesterday on this. Let me tee it up with something I um, I said this afternoon, earlier in the afternoon, if I might, and let you guys take it from here. By the way, the death toll uh, uh, attributed to uh, Mr. Daryl Brooks, the truck driver who plowed into a Christmas parade, it was five when the broadcast started. It's now six. He has now taken, uh, allegedly taken six lives. Um, Why would Mr. Brooks do that, I asked? Why would he plow his car into a Christmas parade? Well, Mr. Brooks was out on bail and is evidently a violent criminal. On bail for what? for recklessly endangering the safety of his child's mom by trying to run her down with his vehicle, along with charges of disorderly conduct and domestic abuse. Um, When he was arrested for all that originally, he was out on bail previously yet again for attempting another crime, the gunning down of his nephew in that case. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about more than that. We're talking about his social media accounts, which show him to be not only a supporter of Malcolm X, but evidently now also a fan of Adolf Hitler. It turns out, too, though you would not have read this anywhere at CNN or The New York Times yesterday, that he happens to be a black man. Now, why is that relevant at all? It's only relevant because race has been poured all over 
the things that have transpired in Kenosha and the predictions that were coming with the exoneration of Kyle Rittenhouse, including predictions from our own Secretary of State, a candidate for governor, Katie Hobbs, who said with that exoneration, expect more white supremacist violence. That's why I thought the race of Mr. Brooks was curious and why it wasn't reported. But just as curious and and uh, unreported is Mr. Brooks's social media accounts and beliefs. Why are monsters like this stalking us? The only person, the only person who was condemned by Joe Biden and, in fact, our own Secretary of State and media is the only one, the only one who has no criminal record in any of this. Kyle Rittenhouse. Odd place to be. It's a it's a depressing and a heartbreaking place to be, Seth. Um, you know, th- this really was one of those events that, that had an outsized impact on me. I, I found it very, very distressing. But what I, I think I'm most angry about is the way that I, I see this attack is it is an ISIS-style copycat perpetrated by a black ethno-nationalist who has been fed his red meat by the mainstream media for the last two years at a minimum. And and that this constant braying that America is a white supremacist society where sport is made of killing unarmed black people has, has you know, caused this. It, it has caused a, a massive overreacted self-defense mechanism amongst crazy people. And that is how you get this. If, if you are told by all of the authority figures around you that you are hunted and stalked and preyed upon, then you're going to snap eventually. It's actually the morally right thing to do. Right. If you are living in a regime run by fascists and Nazis, it is the morally right thing to take up arms and by opposing end them. The problem is with the culture of the media that has lied about who the Nazis and the fascists are, right. and, and so, creating them where they don't exist, thus creating unnecessary violence where it shouldn't exist. Right. And But what's fascinating as well is that all of this man's support in rejecting white ethnocentrism is to embrace black ethnocentrism. Right. Right. The only way we can get out of this this horrid struggle that was the, the reason for the worst atrocities of the 20th century is to reject this kind of calculus wholesale. And, and our media class will not let it go for political expediency. It is, the dog, it is the bone that they have in their mouths that they, they will not release until they die, they'll, seemingly. They'll do one worse. They'll go one worse. They will promote and parade around the importance of scholars who teach this sort of junk thought. I give you Ibram Kendi of Boston University, whom Jack Dorsey gave $10 million to. In his most popular book on how to end racism, there is this famous quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future. The only remedy towards uh, of war is more war. Right. Yes, indeed. Right. So we are put in this cycle, which is, I think, Hugh, an absurdity. I, I mentioned, so if you took Ibram Kendi um, uh, honestly— you would say in 1865, the necessity wasn't civil rights acts and reconstruction. The necessity would be for blacks to enslave whites. It's not slavery that was bad. It was just done by the wrong race. That's the only implication you can draw from Ibram Kendi, and that's why we have a race war going on in this country. And it is a race war, and it is a sad thing. So the generation before us uh, who had great leaders – 
my my parents among them. My mother helped to desegregate housing in Tempe in the uh, late 40s and 50s, desegregate Tempe Beach Park. Those are just examples. She was an apparent white woman living with a black woman and, a, as they said, a Mexican woman. So a Hispanic and an African-American, as we would now say today, with an apparent white woman. Uh, my mother would go and rent housing and uh, would then move in with her roommates and they would challenge the landlords to kick them out. Uh, it was one unit at a time, and they uh, did the same thing with Tempe Beach Park. Uh, uh, going to the swimming pool when it was actually Hispanics who were the ones most discriminated right. against because they were the they were the quote threat unquote. And learning at the knee of these women that their view, having lived through it and fought real racism was that a colorblind society in which we stopped paying attention to such uh, indifferent matters and paid attention to the uh, content of one's character was important. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing for me as the son to see my, my son, the grandson of this amazing woman, face a society in which we now have racists cheering that racism is the only basis on which we're going to reverse past racism. And so now I risk being called a racist because I prefer a society in which race is not important to people in making decisions, that items that matter about character and uh, uh, we make decisions based on merit uh, no longer apparently is appropriate, that race is all that should matter. And that to me is anathema to a free society and this one in particular that only survives as a result of the fact that we have for centuries welcomed people here imperfectly yes but we seek to achieve excellence perfection is not possible amen we'll be right back so uh it's it's been a trying weekend with the the events in wisconsin and it's it's been a scary year with inflation seemingly out of control but I'd like to close the, the, the segment, if I can, that, to me that really encapsulates the, the problem that we have with, with the media class. And it is this patent insistence that black be capitalized, but white not be capitalized. I, I read several publications' stance on this today before the show, including The New York Times, The Atlantic, and a, and a few more. And largely what they conclude when they, when they present this is that in their eyes— Blackness is a political entity. It is a social and, and uh, uh, a racial and an ethnic construct. But this, this really uh, uh, um, means ultimately that it has political force in the world. The conclusion, though, is that, that whiteness cannot be allowed this degree because no one wants to bear any relection to a small mustached man from the 1940s. And so... We, we effectively have a position implicitly in our, in our editorials that blackness is, is a permissible racial public and, and, and political identity, that you can be a black ethno-nationalist as a part of American society. But what we need to do is reject all ethno-nationalism, neither black nor white should be capitalized. Or if we're going to capitalize one, we should capitalize the other. We need to not have the distinction that one race is endowed with a racial consciousness and that all others should not be. Because if we, if we play this game long enough, 
we're going to enter a very scary world where there's no other other way but but to presume that racial consciousness is the only way forward. Well, in fact, we've entered that world, and I think the uh, deaths of six people and the injury of dozens more prove that, that race is now being used as a sword by a certain group of people, primarily the political talking left and their corporate media giants, that that is acceptable. And to my mother's generation, that was unacceptable, not just for her as a, quote, white woman, unquote, but for all of her colleagues, that their goal was opportunity for all and liberty for each. And in this instance, we're now trying to create a class and distinction that will only exacerbate the problems we've been facing. And that seems completely polar opposite to what the principles were on which this country was founded.